Hello and welcome back to the European show. We're back for a new year. It's a World Cup year. Um, and yeah, to join me in, in the return is Nick, as usual. So welcome back, Nick. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. I, I hope you've all had a good year. And uh, so what are we looking at today, Jack? Um, the first place we'll start, obviously, we're going to catch up with the football that has happened while we've been away. Um, but we'll first start with La Liga or we'll start I'll dub it Spain. Um, so there were some La Liga result or games while we were away. Most no- on New Year's Day, most notably though, Real Madrid lost, losing one 0 to Hetafe of all teams. Yeah, it was a pretty rough game to watch if you support Real Madrid. It started off horrendously, with a with a mistake from Militao uh, trying to pass it back to 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 the goalkeeper. But the pass wasn't strong enough. Enes Unal takes the ball and scores. And then from then on, Getafe was like, oh, we got what we came for. Done. Locks up shop. Doesn't just 11 men in the box for the for the rest of the 80 minutes. It was really, really dead football. It was horrendous to watch. Uh, there was a few opportunities which Real Madrid uh, managed to open up. But overall, it was just it was just negative. Uh, two banks of four uh, get the ball back as, as much as you can it almost reminded me of when Bordelas was managing Getafe and, that's how they, and this is how they would play every game but but still it, it wasn't particularly entertaining and it's probably the worst way to lose but, uh, but it happened and it cut out Real Madrid's really 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 long unbeaten streak since the beginning since the beginning of the since the first few days of the Liga um, because of this, Real Madrid's lead at the top of the table has been shortened, but not by much. They're still uh, seven, five points ahead of Sevilla. Sevilla does have a game in hand, however. But uh, if if they don't let uh, their their uh, if they don't let this game get to their heads, I think they'll be all right. The thing is, sometimes uh, with this kind of thing, you know. The players go out on holiday, the team kind of resets, and you've been building up all of this good momentum. And then you come back and then you get hit in the face with this. It can be pretty rough. And then if they don't recover quickly, it can kind of start into like a downhill where everyone just kind of loses confidence. And they're like, oh, this is the way things are now. And then you enter a bad streak and then Real Madrid could be in real trouble if they, if they as I said, let it get to them. So they really want to be bouncing back in their, in their next game in La Liga. Uh, and their next game in the Liga will be against Valencia. Once again, it's a decently difficult game, but um, if they can if they can surpass it, they, it, it will be quite big psychologically for them. I think they also have a midweek game, which happened last night. Uh, but I'll come back to that one when we talk about the Copa del Rey. Then uh, Sevilla, meanwhile, were the were the main protagonists, due to them inching closer to top spot. Uh, Sevilla played Cadiz and they won 1-0 with a goal from Lucas Ocampos it was a pretty pretty simple game Cadiz is last in the table you could you could see that you could see the players uh, kind of struggling to return back to form but but they managed to pull through it was it was interesting because uh, Sevilla were lacking quite a lot of players due to COVID I mean so, so were all of the so were all of the La Liga teams there was a pretty big outbreak uh, during Christmas, but yeah, they, they had a change in system. Uh, Goodelia had to play centre back 
which is strange considering he's normally a pretty um, a midfielder and a good one at that. But yeah, th- this is a common pattern we saw. But yeah, um, they also started uh, one of their youth players as striker. He did all right. Uh, didn't score, but yeah, he looked quite promising. Mm, and then moving on, Betis, who are in third spot, and were really looking at continuing the chase for second and then maybe even first, actually lost their game, which is also quite a heavy blow for them. They lost against Celta Vigo 2-0. Uh, two goals from Iago Aspas sentenced, sentenced them. And this kind of reminds us that Iago Aspas isn't dead. He In Spanish football, he, he's a massive legend. Everyone loves him. From, and they keep saying he should be called up to the Spanish team. Or at least they did. Um, since a season or two ago, he kind of returns to his former glory for about two weeks at a time and then fades away. And this is one of the games where, unfortunately, Betis had to see Iago Aspas at his best. He played really well and he capitalized on it with his goals quite clearly. Then... Atleti finally won a game after four or five consecutive losses they beat Rayo Vallecano who were actually quite threatening because at the time they were also in the top four however with this victory Atleti cement themselves two points above uh, fellow Madrid rivals the goals came from Angel Correa who had been struggling quite a lot it was interesting because uh, Simeone due to a Covid outbreak as well also switched his system from his normal three at the back um, that he that he had adopted over this last year and a half into a into a more traditional four four two, which used to be like his religious uh, formation. He'd always stand by, and we saw a lot of players actually improving a lot, like Renan Lodi, who had been absolutely terrible since the change to three at the back, and Correa was also quite comfortable. Lemar, Carrasco, and Condovia, uh, and the ball, the entire midfield was incredible, really outstanding, and I think that this is the way that Atleti should move on from here on out. The three at the back worked extremely well last season, but uh, but it's petered out, and just seeing how just how well uh, it worked, the, just how good and positive the midfield was, and how creative everything was, was really quite helpful. So I, I definitely think this is the way to go on. And then speaking of speaking of changes, um, Barcelona won one nil. That, that, that's not the change. I'm not I'm not making fun of them in that sense. <laughs> They're winning games finally. <laughs> They're winning change. games now. Yeah, they won one nil. Um, also, quite quite shocking. I was gonna say Frankie, but no, it's it's his almost cousin, Luke de Jong scored. Uh, and what's and here they had to start also a lot of youth players. They we have gotten accustomed to see them playing a lot of La Masia, uh, drawing from their youth, but this time they were forced to because once again they got hit really hard by COVID. Uh, Ricky Puig started which is the main thing I was trying to get to, which I'm very, very happy about. He didn't quite uh, shine as much as he as he had done in his earlier years, but that makes sense considering he's been, giving, been given almost no opportunities. Um, but yeah, the, we saw Ricky Puig, Ferran Jutla, uh, Abde, Nico, Minguesa, and Araujo all starting. Most of these are players who played in the academy very, very recently. The only, you could say, senior players were Luke de Jong, Frankie de Jong, who is also quite young, Pique and Ter Stegen, which is four players. But yeah, they, they outplayed Mallorca. Um, Mallorca is quite low in the table, but still it, it was good. A solid 1-0 victory to, to start ramping up confidence and maybe turn things around. Uh, and then moving on to the Copa del Rey. 
big a big thing coming up Barcelona so far is that they've obviously signed Ferran Torres. Um, however, they're unable to register him um, due to their financial situation. So that does mean they have to sell or get rid of several more players. Um, and they also they're also interested in Alvaro Morata. Um, you can see what Xavi wants to do um, with like Ferran Torres and the host of young players they have as well. Um, however, it's also quite questionable. Like Alvaro Morata, the man that lives offside and cannot score a goal to save his life. Um, why sign him when he needs a lot of support to work? And really, he's at his best when he has a world-class striker to play next to. And Barcelona does not have that. Um, Morata does not work as a, as a single striker on his own. It's just not the way to play with him. He really needs to combine with somebody else. And also, I think that strikers aren't really Barcelona's problem. They have offensive capabilities. And yeah, you can say Depay is not amazing. Um, but I, I think Depay has been doing his job. And I find it difficult. I'll find it difficult for um, Ferran Torres, who's still quite inexperienced, or Morata, who's also extremely hit and miss, to do their jobs better than Depay. The problem is their defense is terrible. I mean, o- overall, uh, the team is quite slow and sluggish and all that. But the- but the defense is where we see that most of all, and they just need new centre backs like badly. Araujo is usually all right. Uh, sometimes he's even quite good. But uh, it's hard for him to do things and just do everything on his own. And also, um, he isn't consistent. Within, within one game, he can, he can have some, quite a lot of highs and lows. And in some matches, just when he gets drawn out of his position, uh, which happens quite often, he leaves a lot of space behind him. So, uh, I mean, he, he's a good player, but he's not one strong centre-back that is, like, I, that is the quality I'd expect for a team from Barcelona. And furthermore, other than him, there's no other good defenders. Like, like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, some players are alright, or whatever. But literally all of the other defenders at Barcelona are just bad, with the possible exception of Eddie Garcia, who's alright. Uh, allegedly, the only reason Torres moved, or one of the reasons, should I say, that Torres moved to Barcelona is because of his girlfriend. Um, his girlfriend is the daughter of Luis Enrique. <laughs> Obviously, the Spanish national team manager who lives in Barcelona. So I think one of the big draws, we, we can see one of the big draws of why he, he left Manchester for Barcelona. Um, also, the fact that Manchester is a shithole. Yeah, I was about to say maybe he missed the sun a bit as well. But yeah, uh, well, one thing he'll miss for sure is playing Champions League football. <laughs> He's gone right back to the Europa League. <laughs> At the weekend, Barcelona played Granada. Well, he won't see Ferran Torres because he cannot be registered. He also has COVID. That's also worth noting. <laughs> um, Atletico Madrid play Villarreal and Real Madrid play Valencia. So now, because it we've we're just roughly at the halfway point, um, we're going to have instead of our team of the year because that takes too long. Um, we're just going to have our player of the year so far. So Nick, who is your player of the year for La Liga? My answer is a bit uninspired, but it's it's just true because this player has just been head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, is Karim Benzema like he's just outrageous every game he plays he well he's already got 15 goals which at this stage is is, is a lot he's top he's top scoring the league by a lot 
but also what I wanted to like properly say was in every game he's just so active and he's so good at causing trouble in the box like he just moves around to find space he can dribble like on a pinhead it's insane he's like at his age and for the amount of time he's been playing just to keep on displaying this level of of consistency is really really great week in week out he he's pulling the strings left and right he's absolutely the focus of Real Madrid's attack and well his partnership with Vinicius this this season has also been really great uh, I do have some other honourable mentions I'd like to put out um, Juanmi a striker or well more like left left winger attacking midfielder he changes position often uh, he plays for Betis he has also been really really great uh, 11 goals second top scorer in the league um, the fact that he's putting out these performances is really really uh, one of the main reasons why Betis has managed to to just raise themselves so far up the league table last last season they finished in the Europa League spot and now as quite notably they're they're in the Champions League spot um, and Juanmi is a large part of that last season we praised Canales a lot uh, because well he, he was just the the brain in the Betis midfield and now it's like Juanmi has become his left hand man the two of them together combine really well Juanmi is really great at driving the ball through that final third uh, into the box he associates well with his teammates he creates a lot of danger he's got a sharp eye for goal he really um, he, he's just a great asset to Betis overall and uh, yeah, I already mentioned that he's one of the main reasons why, why Betis is doing so good. And then uh, then my last honourable mention would be Conde. It's hard, we've talked about him a lot before and uh, it's hard to say between him and Diego Carlos, who I think has been better. But uh, Sevilla is by far the team with the least goals conceded in the, in the league so far. And it's mostly due to this defensive partnership. For me, Conde has just been a little bit better than Diego Carlos. But it's insane. It's like he covers the entire the entire pitch anywhere you look Conde is there you, you think you can try and dribble past literally like any just any part of the pitch and Conde is there he, he will block you it's insane he's got such a sharp eye for a tackle he's so strong and so fast he's generally almost impossible to get past it's really really just hard to underestimate what just how difficult it is to get past him so yeah those are my three top three of the season so far so now we're going to look at the Copa del Rey briefly. Um, so uh, in yesterday's games, uh, Real Madrid beat Alcoyano 3-1. They weren't taking any chances. They put out their starting lineup almost well with a bunch of first-team players. Uh, and they and they delivered. I think they're a bit uh, traumatized from last season's uh, early knockout. And I wouldn't blame them. Um, meanwhile, Barcelona play Linares. They had. S- it's hard to say what the, their starting lineup is because, I mean, they don't play with first team players in the first place. So, but um, but yeah, they they had a similar lineup you could say to the previous league match, with the exception of Dani Alves starting his first league game, f- not league game, his just first game for Barcelona, in five years, wasn't it? And then, uh, and so yeah, they they kind of had the game go down to the wire, with them beginning losing. Uh, once again, their defense is terrible. Uh, then Dembele delivered and and scored, and Ferran Nucla scored the winner in the 70th minute. What's what's really notable about the about the Copa so far is Atletico Baleares 
they're a third division team from the Balearic Islands. So similar to one of the favorites here, Sede um, Ibiza. And so far they've beaten, they've knocked out uh, two first division teams. Those being Getafe, and they hammered 5-0. And, um, and Celta Vigo. So it's, that's a pretty crazy story and we'll look forward to seeing how far they can go. Then tonight Sevilla plays Reza Zaragoza and Atleti plays Rayo Majadahonda. Those are the main teams that we should look out for and we'll see how it goes with that. So now we're going to have our break and then we'll be back with Liga and the Bundesliga. Welcome back from our from our break. We're now going to look at Liga. Um, there were Liga games before Christmas after we had our break. Um, the only notable result was PSG drew their game against Lorient. It's also worth noting that last year Lorient did um, beat PSG as well, um, which obviously hindered their title race or their title chances. Um, and so this weekend. Marseille play Bordeaux, Lens play Rennes, and Lyon play PSG. Obviously, in normal cases, this would be a big game between Lyon and PSG. However, Lyon are languishing just below mid-table, um, so this isn't as much of a exciting game as well it could have been. However, it's PSG, so they'll probably just shoot themselves in the foot like they normally do. Um, the Coupe de France happened as well, or it has happened this past weekend. Um, however... Crowd trouble, which has become a common theme in France in recent months, um, caused the postponement of Paris FC versus Lyon. As it was crowd trouble, I think, between the Lyon fans. Um, and so that meant they couldn't play each other. This was back on New Year's Day. Um, however, and that meant Nice, who, who the winner was scheduled to play, weren't able to fulfil their fixture this weekend either. Um... PSG played 4th Division Vanez and beat them 4-0. This is worth noting, mainly because it irritated me, the fact that people were hyping up Mbappe scoring a hat-trick when it was against a 4th Division team. I think that has to be taken into consideration, um, especially if you look at the team PSG were playing as well, as in fielded. For me, what, what was interesting about this game was that we saw um, more of Xavi Simmons. He actually started... And this is a name that's been going around for not quite a decade, but quite close to that. Uh, since since he was at the Barcelona Academy at like 12 years old, everyone's going on about him. And uh, and then he signed for PSG as a youth player. And we're beginning to see him break out onto the scene. And so he, he started today and he was he was quite good. He, he bagged himself an assist. Once again, it's difficult to judge when you're against a fourth division team. But yeah, it's interesting that finally after all this time, we're, we're beginning to see this almost like mythical youth player and we'll see if, if he lives up to expectations really. But the most exciting game was the Derby de Nord between Lens and Lille. Um, Lille took the lead, a quite sizable lead between from Anana, who scored twice in the first half. However, Lens began to mount their comeback when Saka Fafana 
um, scored around the 60th minute to, to cut the deficit and then in the 95th minute he proceeded to score the equaliser to take the game to extra time. The game obviously went through extra time and then it went to penalties. Lons proceeded to win with Seca Fafana then scoring the winner. Um, and what he allegedly did before the penalty, he asked the referee if he would get suspended, obviously he would immediately miss him at the next game, for taking his shirt off after he scored the winning penalty. And the way the ref replied insinuated that he had faith, I'm not saying the ref is biased, just to be clear, <laughs> um, he had faith that Fafana was actually going to score the winner which he did um, and I don't think Fafana is suspended for the next game either um, so I had the, the luxury of of doing the play of the year for Liga um, I could have went the safe route and just did Mbappe but why why go for the player that dominates the best team in France so instead I went for Seca Fafana um, although Lanz is sitting 7th he's kind of been a a stalwart of their midfield this season, um, and yeah, he he's just kind of bossing it in Liga. I could have also went for Jonathan David. I'm not even going to lie, because <laughs> um, he is top goal scorer in, in an underperforming Lille team. However, I do think um, Seca Fafana just deserves um, the credit. He's 26 and he, he's 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 bossing it. He's got five goals and. He's playing well for underperforming Lons team, and that obviously, and his performances have been shown as as we saw against Lille, and he's also won Player of the Month before. Um, Seko Fafana wins it, and I think I, I would put Jonathan David second, obviously because he is a pod favourite. So now we'll go on to the Bundesliga. Um, once again, the Bundesliga is on crack. Uh, the first game, as obviously we now restart the fixtures all again, Bayern Munich against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Obviously, first game of the f- season, it finished 1-1, and then obviously they met again in the Pokal, which Gladbach won 5-0. But since then, the teams have gone in completely opposite directions. Bayern Munich have just been so dominant. Um, while Borussia Mönchengladbach have been the complete opposite and terrible. Um, however, they do have a chance now to kind of build up form again and, and beat Bayern only because Bayern Munich have a COVID outbreak and quite a big one as well. Corentin Talisa, Kingsley Coman, Lucas Hernandez, Alfonso Davies, Diotu Pimacano, Leroy Zane, Manuel Neuer, Tangai Nianzu and Omar Richards are all out with COVID. Um, obviously they've most likely contracted it when they went away on their travels for the winter break when most people went to Dubai um, but yeah they've kind of by, and luckily Nicolas Sule and Leon Goretzka will potentially be playing for Bayern in this game against Gladbach which will be a big a big plus um, but it has heavily heavily depleted this, this Bayern Munich team They've had to call up under-19s as the under-23s don't actually start playing or training again until Monday. Um, so they're in a very, very tough situation and it does mean they're going to be depleted in some areas, especially the left-hand side. Um, it's really unknown who, who can fill in because all their left-backs are, are out with COVID. Um, 
so it will be really interesting to see how this buying team lines up it, obviously they do have still uh, Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski so you can't really discount anything with those two starting it's also worth noting that Joshua Kimmich will be back after his long absence due to Covid and he is allegedly now vaccinated um, make that of it what you will um, Gladbach on the other hand also have some issues um, they will be without Rami Benzabayini who's at the Africa Cup of Nations uh, Jonas Hoffman who's still injured Dennis Sakaria who has Covid and the same with Joe Scali however it's off the pitch where the, as well as on the pitch but off the pitch where their issues are arising for the Gladbach as well as Matthias Ginter and Dennis Sakaria both stated they're not going to renew um, their contracts with Gladbach thus meaning they're now able to speak to other clubs while also leaving on a free transfer this then begs the question I know they may not do it but why are Gladbach keeping these players when they're in quite a precarious situation um, they're just above the relegation zone um, you'll have two players who who may say yes we want to fight for the club but in reality their futures are kind of safe really as, as they as they have free will and they probably will in this month sign for another team and join them in the summer um, they don't really have anything to play for and you kind of think do you really want players regardless of their quality you want players that don't want to be there playing for you when you're ending up in a situation you don't want to be in fighting relegation yeah no i think i think it's definitely quite silly to keep them because they're they're decent players so they could get uh, they could get some money out of them like a fair amount maybe 10 or 20 million obviously it's quite difficult with both of their contracts ending soon um but but what i'm trying to get at is uh they they can still get a, a, a fair sum uh and but if but if they just keep them they're going to be complete dead weight in the team they don't want to take part uh in the in the push for uh, for <laughs> for staying out of the relegation zone uh, they're not interested in what happens so they'll play a lot less well and then they'll just leave for free anyways so you'll leave a crazy amount of money obviously like Matthias Ginter kind of has to be playing well regardless of where he is um, because obviously he has struggled in recent um, months and with the World Cup albeit at the end of this year he has to stop playing well as there are other German centre-backs who could easily um, fill, in, fill in his place such as Nico Schlotterbeck especially with Hansi Flick preferring a four at the back compared to Joachim Lowe who went with three and obviously with the likes of Nicolas Sule and Antonio Rudiger as well Gint is already third and you could potentially say fourth or fifth in the pecking order so he has to kind of start playing well regardless of where he is if he wants to make it to the World Cup in November because obviously Dennis Sakari is one of the best or one of the most um, or has been one of the most highly rated youngsters uh, or young defensive midfielders in recent years. Um, the other big game was between Frankfurt and Dortmund, which also was a goal fest at the uh, at the beginning of this season. Um, Dortmund will obviously be looking to not be as tragic defensively as they were in the first half of the season. Um, Frankfurt will be looking to continue their revival under Oliver Glasner. It's worth noting Oliver Glasner did miss the first few days of Frankfurt's training as he fell off a, an electric scooter and required surgery on his face uh, obviously he is alright um, 
but it's quite a comical way um, to get injured, especially when you're the manager. Um, but arguably, away from COVID, the biggest story has been the transfer of Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg. Um, one of the biggest talents from America, since probably Christian Pulisic, um, he's moved to Augsburg, of all places, for around 15 million. Um, that's not including add-ons and stuff. Um, he was set to move to Wolfsburg. However, in the last at the last minute, basically, Augsburg came in with an offer that uh, FC Dallas couldn't refuse, and obviously he's moved to, to to Augsburg. It's a difficult situation for Pepe to be in because he's kind of being thrown in the deep end here. Um, playing for a team that sits 17th and and fighting not to get relegated and he's going to be required to produce quite quickly and the levels of the Bundesliga are obviously completely different to that of, of MLS um, whereas at Wolfsburg he would have been it would have been a bit more relaxed he wouldn't have had to develop or he would have time to develop and he, there wouldn't be as much pressure on him as ahead of him you have the likes of Wout Weghorst, Luka Waldschmidt, Lucas Metzger um, so it's a bold, bold move moving to Augsburg with the situation they are in, especially his age as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how how this works out, really. And Augsburg are beginning to set up quite a a young a young core of a team. It it does also worth note. It's also worth noting that it's not a similar situation allegedly to that of Serge Gnabry when he moved from Arsenal to Werder Bremen and Bayern Munich helped fund the transfer for Werder Bremen so he was then able to move to Bayern a year later. Um, it was allegedly that this could have been a similar situation. Um, however, Bayern wouldn't give that much money to just to, to a geographical rival um, and then it pay it the next year, which is odd considering the relationship that Bayern Munich have with FC Dallas and so my player of the year for the Bundesliga it, I know I've disregarded the obvious uh, for Ligue 1 but it's Robert Lewandowski I think he's potentially on the way again to breaking his own record um, he obviously broke the calendar year record as well um, and I just think someone that breaks that many records you can't really ignore him um, an honourable mention is Christopher Running. Christopher Nkunku, he has been the heart of, of RB Leipzig, especially when they've been playing quite poorly. And he's basically carried them for the majority of this season this, so so far in in the league and in the Champions League. And he's definitely finally getting the recognition he deserves. Um, so now we're going to have our break and then we'll be back with Syria. Welcome back from our Golson break. You just heard the 
We are saucy that goes on. So Nick, what do you rate it out of ten? I like quite a lot. It's quite energetic and it's something you could definitely celebrate a goal to, so I'll give it a good nine out of ten. I'm I'm gonna give it a, a seven. Um so now we're going to go into Syria. Sadly as we're recording this, um there are Syria games being played. Most notably Juventus versus Napoli is later on. Um which is obviously quite a big game. But in in, in midweek or at the weekend, Milan play Venezia, Napoli play Sampdoria, Inter Milan play uh, Lazio, and Roma play Juventus. Obviously, we could talk about the Lukaku stuff, <laughs> the fact that he's basically just said um, he wants to come back to Inter, to put it lightly. <laughs> um, due to the, the way he left in, in the summer, he feels like he has unfinished business here. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's been blown a bit uh, past what, what he said. I think he was just trying to calm down the, the Inter fans. I don't think he wanted to say uh, he wanted to go back. But, uh, but yeah, I think he was just trying to kind of suck up to the Inter fans. And he went a bit too far and disrespected Chelsea quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot. And also, it's quite a questionable statement that he said when the biggest clubs in the world are Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich. Yeah, that that was. I think we're in at a, we're at a stage now where Barcelona cannot be considered one of the biggest clubs in the world. And to exclude Man City and Liverpool is, it's definitely. I'm starting to think maybe Lukaku doesn't know that much about football. It couldn't be Luka- possible. Lukaku's ball knowledge is is minimal. Lukaku's ball knowledge is questionable. He's a he's a great football player. But if you if you if you list three big clubs, you don't list the seventh place in La Liga. I'm sorry. Um, mm. in on the transfer news, um, the, t- the team to watch out for for at least the six, uh, probably at most the next six months is Fiorentina. Um, so they signed Jonathan Okone from Lille. Is so that the, means they have a, a good front three of Okone, Nico Gonzalez, and Dusan Vlahovic. Um, obviously Vlahovic is. Than probably one of, if not behind Robert Lewandowski, the most informed striker in Europe at the moment. Um, and yeah, he, he's not planning, it's most likely that he's going to leave this summer, no matter, depending on, on where most likely Erling Haaland will go. But it, it's going to be interesting how this front three performs because obviously Fiorentina are sitting mid-table just outside the European places and you would think with this type of front three um, they should be able to make it in, into the European places especially how some of the teams ahead of them have been playing or how, how patchy their form was um, earlier on in, in, in the season yep absolutely they, they it's strange considering they have the best striker objectively the best striker in the league and yet they're languishing uh, in in the conference league spot, um, you feel like they could be doing better, but really it's because they, eat, despite all the goals that Vlahovic scores, he can't really drag a, a team with a the, the, with a shaky defense. It's not like terrible, but it's just not up to scratch, and a midfield that doesn't really produce much for anyone else other than him. So I think I think it will be quite a relief for both Vlahovic and Fiorentina to have a second option, someone else who they can focus their attacks through. Um, sure, that won't really change their defence, but it will It will certainly correct that second problem I mentioned. Um, so I do think that, well, this is certainly a great move. He, Jonathan Ikone, I mean, 
has been strong with with Lille, not like world class by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly he could become a really really special player. So we'll definitely see what what goes on now at Fiorentina, and maybe if and maybe if he becomes good enough to fill in the gap of Lahovic while he's gone. But I think until then he will make a good partnership with with the two of them up front. Um, so now Nick has the Serie A or his Serie A player of the season. I've already kind of spoiled it going on so much about Vlahovic, but once again, Vlahovic is my is my player of the season. It's unreal. I've I've already gone on a bit about this, but just to to be the top scorer of the league, playing for Fiorentina, like Fiorentina's in, it's, it's a mid team, right? And then he he's dragging them up higher than than they should be. Not no disrespect. It's just like it's true. Like I don't think any any fans would disagree with me, because Vlahovic does have sixteen goals, in I believe it is nineteen games or eighteen games. It's it's really crazy. It, it, it these are really really like world class numbers, obviously, and it's what you get from from strikers in the top of the league, not from like Fiorentina. So that's really boosting them up, and for him to be able to do that with a. With, yeah, a decent midfielder, but not, not nobody like special or world class behind him. It, it's absolutely crazy. Then uh, I do have some other honorable mentions. Uh, a similar case is uh, Giovanni Simeone, th- that, that being obviously Simeone, the, the manager's son. Uh, he he's been in Serie A for a while. He's not a young talent like uh, Vlahovic, and he's been quite quiet for most of his career. But for some reason now, he's decided to explode. He plays for Hellas Verona, which is currently 11th, and he is the third top scorer in the league, obviously behind Blachowicz, but also behind Immobile. With 12 goals so far, he's really just banging in week in, week out. And I think, for a similar reasoning to Blachowicz, to be able to do this so well with a team that's not really at, like, at a special level, I, I, th- I think that's really impressive. Then my final top mention would be Chalanoglu. I hope this doesn't make all the AC Milan fans angry, but I do think it's true. He just creates and provides so much for Inter. I mean, they're top of the table, and while everyone in the team is contributing quite well to that, I think Chalinoglu is really where it's at. He's got six goals, seven assists, and just the creativity in his passes is so special. And he's really just got a pinpoint eye and a really, I don't know, a mind for something different. So he's just good at opening that space, finding the forwards really well and making the ball progress. And I don't know, that's just such an unbalancing quality, in, in a good sense, obviously, uh, to have that really, yeah, I would definitely say that he's in the top three best best players in Serie A so far. So that, that was it for me then. Um, so that is it for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday to review the games. And yeah, um, we'll see you then. Yep. We, will, we will see you later. Have a great weekend.